Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. All right, you guys, we, uh, I almost just said, happy Monday. <laughs> <laughs> it's Monday vibes already. It's always it's mo- it's Monday, Monday until Tuesday. Thursday. <laughs> the, it, it's Monday until Thursday. That really is. It's yeah. Monday until Thursday. And Curtis, you're exactly right. It is the most Monday Thursday. Something about it just feels Monday, like Tuesday. a Monday. Uh, and maybe you should tell your uh, Monday, Tuesday. God, you know what? Bump water Don't swing at the first pitch, Stacey. Yeah. I really Don't did. swing at the first <laughs> pitch. I had, I had just three swings out. That's it. Um, we have uh, a lot to talk about when it comes to uh, the Seahawks and Mariners today. We're going to have uh, ESPN's David Schoenfield joining us in an hour. So if you're like, hey, I'm ready for spring training. I'm moving on from the Super Bowl. I am ready for Mariners baseball. Just hang tight. We got a lot of stuff to go over with David. Before we get to that, though, uh, there are some dates coming up post-Super Bowl. Don't, <laughs> football stops on the field, but plenty of decisions still to be made. February 20th, guys, that is only a couple days away, a week away. It's the first day to designate franchise and transition tags. We're going to talk about two possible Seahawks candidates there. And then, of course, you got free agency coming up on March 14th. That is only a month from Wednesday. It is not that far away. So what are we going to talk about now? Seattle's biggest free agency decision. What is it? Um, one that was proposed, uh, Bump, and I'll have you run with this one. Who would you franchise tag between the two? Again, I mentioned that February 20th, um, a week from today, is that first day to designate franchise and transition tags. Two possible choices for Seattle, Leonard Williams and Jordan Brooks. They are at the top of the list, right? I'm looking at guys who are free agents in 2024. You got Leonard Williams. You uh, sacrificed a second-round pick to get that guy, and I think it was worth it towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. He did his thing. We'll throw Bobby Wagner in there, right? He's a free agent, Drew Locke, Phil Haynes. But uh, you mentioned the two big names, right? We're looking at, hey, Noah Fant as well. Uh, but we're looking at Jordan Brooks and Leonard Williams. When we talk about a Mike McDonald defense, I focus on the box to start. He had some great safeties in Geno Smith and Hamilton and Williams over there. You got Humphrey at the corner spot. But we all know, if you know ball, you know what starts in the trenches. And I look at Leonard and I look at Jordan Brooks. Now, Curtis and I were in the sports pit. You were there, too, doing some math, trying to math this thing out and saying, all right, how much would Jordan Brooks cost on a franchise tag? And it's we, we guess around $17 million, right? Mm-hmm. And then we go to Leonard Williams. What do we come up with uh, with Leonard Williams, Curtis, when it comes to franchise tag possibilities? Well, he's already in the top five of average annual value amongst defensive ends. So we're looking north of about $24, 25000000 million. We talking 24 25 of them things. Either way you put it, it's going to be expensive. I look at Jordan Brooks, and I imagine Patrick Queen. I imagine Smith over there, and I go, look, it, it all starts with the big boys up front, but if you don't have dynamic linebackers, you don't have the two guys in the middle of this thing making plays, mm-hmm. then um, you can have all the dogs up front you want, but once they get to the second level, what's going to happen? I look at Jordan Brooks, and I go, man, I think you'd be loyal. You have to be loyal, and I think you take care of Jordan Brooks first, but I'm looking at Leonard, and I go, well, they go hand in hand. Like, do we? Where, which direction do you go? And I'm so confused right now. But I think Jordan Brooks is not. Oh man, you can say it. No, I, I because I'm struggling with. It. I'm, I'm not sure because okay. at 17 million, that's a lot of money for a linebacker, a guy who made it through a season without jacking up his knee, 
who had some ankle issues at the end of the year. But I look at Leonard Williams and I go, well, you gave up a second round pick for this dude. What are we going to do if we don't have him? So I'm going to go out there and say, look, you work out a deal to extend Jordan Brooks and you franchise tag Leonard Williams. Yeah, if I had to choose between the two, that's probably what I would do. I will say, I think you can get away um, the 20-something million per year franchise tag value you would have on Williams is probably less than the per year average annual value of what you pay him with a contract. But obviously that contract would be more over the course of, right. you know, it's time. Like, let's say you give him, um, you know, 50 plus million in a, in a, you know, three year deal or whatever it is. Um, that is obviously twice what you would pay with a one year fully guaranteed mm-hmm. um, franchise tag cost. So if you like Leonard Williams, you think he can be here for a while, you think that you can build with him for the next couple of years, I would not franchise tag him, and instead I would ext- I would right. give him a new contract. Right. Um, with Jordan Brooks, I just wouldn't franchise tag him. I think that Jordan Brooks, he's a former first-round pick, so you have that investment in him and you really want it to work out. He's shown nothing but great leadership qualities and you know what he can do on the field. He was quietly one of their better defensive players. He is also hugely important, not just for what you need to do defensively in terms of building out your roster. You have no off-ball linebackers under roster right now, uh, but also for specifically what a Mike McDonald defense is going to want to do. You That's think of how they about. use exactly. You think of how they use Patrick Queen or or Smith or a couple other guys, and not all those guys were were middle linebackers, but. That part, that middle part of the defense is hugely important. You don't have anyone locking that down right now. So I would probably franchise tag neither and give both new contracts. Yeah, I mean, that's in the perfect world. That's what you do, right? right. Extend both of these guys and make it happen. Is it, All right, here's a question. Is it spot track <clears throat> or spot track? What do you call it? I say spot yes. track. Spot track. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> All right. Tomato, correct. tomato. All right, spot track. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I'm looking it's whatever at, you feel. I'm looking at spot track. Tomorrow might be spot track, but today is spot track. And I'm looking at it, and it says Jordan Brooks is valued at $11 million a year. I can get with that. You sign him for three, four more sure. years, $11 million a year. Um, you Nice little sign-in bonus so you can kind of prorate that thing throughout the contract. And then it has Leonard Williams at $16 million. Now, those, those numbers sound a lot – a lot more friendly to me than uh, the franchise tag numbers. And I think that both of these young men are going to be good for the next three to four years. Leonard Williams is 29 years old. And you got Jordan Brooks at 26 years old. That's the route to go if you're trying to do it, right? You extend these guys. But when you extend these guys, that means you have to make sacrifices elsewhere. Uh, we're going to talk about that later. I'm going to dab a little bit on uh, in uh, four-down territory. But, uh, yeah, this is the time of year where you have to make decisions. So because of their age and their production, these guys need to be on this football team. And I think we've come to the agreement that you have to extend all these guys. Um, from the Mac and Jack's text line, 401, texting us from Rhode Island. What? What's up, Rhode Island? Uh, I would sign Queen over Brooks anyways. He's better and knows Mike in a scheme. Now, uh, I would love to have Patrick Queen on this defense a thousand percent. However, there is a higher uh, price tag that comes with Patrick Queen because of that accomplishment, because of what he's been able to do. Instead of 11 or so, you're looking at 18.5. So his contract is going to be more on par with Fred Warner, who makes 19, Roquan Smith, who makes 20, Tremaine Edwin- Edmonds, who makes 18, CJ Mosley makes 17. Those are the kinds of contracts you're looking at when it comes to Patrick Queen. Yeah, Queen is expensive and. It's well-deserved. My man has put together a nice career so far. Um, Last year, what did he have? Uh, He played in three-and-a-half sacks. He had 133 tackles, one forced fumble, an interception. And, again, on defense, 
guys do things that don't show up in the stat sheet, and he's one of those guys, right? He's a guy who just blows up the A-gap or spills with the running back as he's getting outside or trying to set that edge out there. He, You watch him play, and you look at the way he moves. There's some times where um, I'm focusing on the offense while, we're on, while I'm breaking down film against like a Baltimore defense, mm-hmm. and I see this player just fly across the screen. And the way that he's moving, I go, dang, is that a safety? And I look it up and go, no, nah, that's a uh, – that's our guy, Queen. I know. Middle line, inside linebacker making plays out there. It is very, very tempting. Um, we'll probably get um, back to this conversation over the course of the offseason, certainly leading up to the 20th when that deadline, uh, excuse me, when that window period opens. It doesn't close on the 20th. Um, another deadline coming up is actually before then. That's this Friday. And it's less to do about a free agent and more to do about a player under uh, on the roster for you right now that may impact whether or not you keep a pending free agent. Mm-hmm. Geno Smith has $12.7 million of his contract, his base salary, that becomes fully guaranteed on February 16th. If you move on from Geno, you don't have to pay that, right? You, you save some money. If you keep Geno on your roster on February 16th, he's probably going to be your starter, unless you go out and draft someone you fall in love with or whatever. But. But that's kind of when we're looking at the Seahawks as making some kind of indication on how not only how they feel about Geno, but how they feel about an investment in Geno. That is this Friday. Meanwhile, Drew Locke is a free agent. Right. Yeah, this is um I wouldn't say it's it is exciting in some way, right? Because we get to figure out what they're gonna do at the most important part of this uh part of this team, which is the quarterback. Now we saw that this uh all throughout the playoffs, the teams that had quarterbacks balling won those ball games. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at Gino and we're looking at Mike and we're saying, all right, what's that relationship going to be like? Does Mike look at Gino and say, he's our guy? Or maybe more importantly, does Grubb look at Gino and says, that's my guy. Let's ride with him for a couple years and and see what happens in the draft and see what we pick up. So no, we're going to, we're going to find out here pretty soon. The first step, right? Cause that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting to see the direction of this team. Who's going to be there. Who's not going to be there. It all started off with the coaching staff. Now that's coming together. Now it trickle downs to personnel. So I'm, I'm happy that we'll, we'll have a direction here pretty soon when it comes to Gino, because that's where it starts, man. I think Gino has earned the right to be a starter in this league. I think he's earned the right to be a starter on this team, but it's not about what he wants or what we think. It's mm-hmm. about what Mike McDonald wants, how he sees the future of this team. And if Grubb thinks he can work with him. I think there's this very natural inclination. I, another texter here saying, I'd rather have Justin Matabuike, who was the sack leader for the Ravens this year. Another player who obviously knows Mike McDonald's defense than Williams and Brooks. Again, you got to look at the cost for that. $20.3 million. He is going to be a free agent, so you, you can sign him, uh, and, or rather you can vie for his services. $20.3 million for him. So he's looking at a contract that's a little bit more, um, you know, like uh, Dexter Lawrence kind of vibes. Uh, Dexter Lawrence is getting $21.8 million. So if you're giving him a four-year, 80-ish million-dollar contract, that's a big investment. And I think that's when people naturally bump, start going, well, maybe you don't need to pay $31 million, uh, you know, a cap hit wise to, to Gino. Maybe you go with Drew. Maybe you go with a cheap option, a quarterback, and you invest in some better pieces on defense. What do you say to those people? I say, do you live your life, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't tell you what to think and, and, and how to think. Uh, I would say that two games isn't enough for me to to roll the dice on this team because I see the potential in this team. If this team won six games last year, didn't have a chance to make the playoffs, there was no positive on offense or on defense, then I would say, all right, let's start this thing over 
because you have a new head coach, and, and let's see what happens. And they might even do that. They might mm-hmm. look at Drew Locke. We don't know what Mike McDonald wants. We don't know what Grubb wants. They might look at Drew Locke and say, you know what, he's cheaper, he's younger, let's roll with him. Uh, but me personally, I wouldn't do that just because I see the talent. I see DK, I see Lockett, I see Jason, I see Ken Walker. I look at the line. I see potential there on, on defense. You need a safety. You need backers. There are other things that you need to do to support Geno. Mm-hmm. If Geno is supported in the right way, then I see him getting into the playoffs and winning a game or two. Uh, I look at I look at Brock Purdy and I look at Jared Goff, right? These guys physically are not the best quarterbacks. I can I take Lamar over them. <laughs> I take Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen. There are guys physically that you will take over them. Those teams are constructed in a different way because of the talent that got at the quarterback position. Because of who Geno is, because of who uh, Jared Goff is, and because of Brock Purdy physically, they need a certain amount of support. I look at Gino and I go, he's like one or two pieces away, in my opinion, to having that proper support and with that O-line staying healthy. This isn't a dire situation. This isn't a, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Let's give Mike McDonald five years to figure this out because he has no quarterback. He's got no skills, skill position. That's not true. You got gaps. You got pieces that are missing. But there's a lot more here, right? It's easier to add to this than to subtract and start all over. Yeah, you guys already know. I've talked about it before. I I hope that Drew Locke finds an opportunity to compete for a starting role the way that Baker Mayfield did, uh, you know, whether it was with Carolina, which didn't work out, or with Tampa Bay, which did. Um, I think, though, that I would go with Geno as a bridge, and ultimately what I want is to find a young quarterback in the draft. Like, I don't really want to do this rotating kind of, like, other teams' projects. And sometimes that works out just fine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Ryan Tannehill worked out just fine for Tennessee for a while. They didn't get to a Super Bowl, but they've been to an AFC championship more recently than the Seahawks have been to an NFC championship. Mm So who am I to, you know, look down my nose and point at them and say it didn't work? Um, But overall, I would love to just see this team draft a young quarterback again and, and develop him. And that's my ultimate wish list item. It doesn't feel like there's a rush. There's no rush here. Draft a quarterback. Let Gino do his thing. Um, One last one before we get to headline rewrites, so I'll be quick with it. I think it's like quietly under the radar as a free agency decision that I think is more important than people think, and that's with tight ends. I know Shane Waldron had a background as a tight ends coach, so I don't know how Ryan Grubb is going to want to use tight ends, but you have two good ones, Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson, Mm -hmm. and you might have to make a decision between the two. Yeah. um, And they're, they're two totally different type of tight ends, too. Noah Fant has got more wiggle with that ball in his hands. I feel like he's the more dynamic football player when he has the rock. I look at Kobe Parkinson. He's a guy that you can just toss it up to in the red zone, and he's probably the better blocker from what I've seen so far. That's a big decision. You need two tight ends on your roster. Even if you are a spread type of team, you need two or three guys because you're going to have to pack it in inside the 10-yard line, and maybe you're backed up. There are situations that call for big boys on the line, and you don't necessarily want to run out another offensive lineman. You can do it, but having tight ends makes you more dynamic in those situations. Mm -hmm. You can throw off it. You can just do more things. Uh, So, again, what does Grubb like? What does he want in a tight end? Does he look at Noah Fett and say, that's my type of tight end? Or does he look at Kobe Parkinson and says, you know what, I like the taller guy who can go up and get it. Uh, these are things that um, that will shape the identity of a football team and that will 
uh, allow Grub and the gang to manipulate the offense in a way that that uh, that highlights the attributes of these dudes. You know what? At least it's uh, all right. Not at least. Uh, I will say the most interesting. There are many interesting things about McDonald, but not knowing what he wants is one of the most interesting things. Like you have a head coach here for long enough, the way Pete Carroll was, and sometimes he'll come out and surprise you. But overall, you know what he wants and what he likes and who and what he expects from players, and you can kind of try to predict things. Remember when Carol and Schneider first got here and there was like monumental roster turnover and you mm-hmm. had no idea what it was they were doing? I don't know that there's going to be that level of roster turnover, but we have no idea what Mike McDonald wants to do other than obviously win, be competitive. We've seen a successful defense that he put together with Baltimore, but we don't know what he wants. Is no. Gino his guy? I don't know. Is Drew his guy? I don't know. Is DK kind of receiver he likes? I have no idea. It's easier for us to look at the defense and make assumptions rather than the offense. Right. Because he's a defensive guy. There's film out there. We can look at the offenses that he's coached with in Michigan under under center type of deal with J.J. McCarthy. And then you look at Baltimore. There's been a, a change over there. Um, Lamar Jackson stays in the pocket a bit more. So you can look at defense and say, okay, these are the type of players that he had in Baltimore, and this is what made him successful, so we can plug guys in. On offense, it's like, okay, you got your guy in grub now. With your knowledge and his knowledge, what is this offense going to look like? Washington's biggest night out in sports is coming up February 15th. It's the 89th annual Sports Star of the Year Awards, crowning our state's biggest stars and stories of 2023. K.J. Wright is hosting. Find tickets and info at seattlesports.com slash events. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one: Super Bowl Fifty Eight was the most watched telecast in American history. About one hundred twenty-four million Woo. viewers is what it averaged. What's the real headline? Call it the Taylor Swift effect. I already know people are going to yell at me and go, no, it wasn't Taylor Swift. Last year was 115 million more eyeballs on the Super Bowl pretty much every single year. We already know the Super Bowl is the most watched program on TV every single year. But I'm sorry, you cannot convince me that Taylor Swift, 54 seconds of Taylor Swift on TV, did not sway an extra million or two eyeballs. I'm glad you put a number on a million or two because to give her an extra 10 million no. or something like that would no. be crazy. Absolutely not. But there were, there were definitely people watching this game who could care less about who won or who couldn't care less about who won or who lost. It was about Taylor Swift. And, um, yeah, good for them. Thanks for tuning in. But you're right. Every single year, more people watch this game. Every single year, the NFL makes more and more money. So um, I, I think uh, it's just trending in the right direction. And Taylor Swift helped that happen. Now I need – who. who's the next big pop star? Like, who? What, what's the next couple, man? Um – like, we're not the there? people to ask. For no, that. I am actually, I am actually the people to ask for that. Oh, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. It's Taylor Swift has just a chokehold on such a huge demographic of women, especially young women. So there's, I there's how some households some viewers that we're not watching that are now mm-hmm. now if Beyonce's I would if someone was like Beyonce's doing the halftime show you bet I'm tuning in to watch Beyonce do the halftime show but Beyonce's been around a little longer a lot of households who know Beyonce are already watching I, that's just kind of the, the, the logic I'm thinking of right now it's Taylor Swift's just a bit uh, bringing in a bit different of a demographic yeah, I mean, you can tap into some real ratchet if you get like Lotto or sexy Ice red. Spice, Sexy Red. Yeah, can that's, you imagine Sexy you gonna, Red you gonna doing bring that to the Super Bowl? Show? You get that going. Let's go. 
Headline rewrites. Headline number two, the Kraken still looking for that elusive first win post-All-Star break. They lost last night 3-1 to one to the Devils. What's the real headline? At least it wasn't a shutty. Hey, that's Look, progress. As, uh, as someone who has been a fan of many horrible teams at times... <laughs> You try to look for the silver lining. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like I was, I w- had season tickets to the 0 and 12 Husky season, and you'd be like, you Good know what? You. That one was close. It was just a field goal. <laughs> di- it was close. That was close. <laughs> At some point, you just stop watching the game, though. I remember playing against that team and being in that stadium, and there was no life. And that was during the time where they had the track separating uh, the field, so there was really no connection, man. Those are tough times, man. But uh, we're not wishing times. that. We're not wishing that on the Kraken. Kraken, let's go turn this thing around. Long season, still got some time left. Now they had the the ten day break for the All Star break, but even with that, they only have two wins since January thirteenth. That's not not a good run they're on. It sounds better when I say it's only their third loss in a row because they last won January 28th. Like, it sounds better if I say, you know, when you think about it, they last won, you know, just three games ago. You think Joey DeCord needs a breather? Like, that guy's played yeah. every game forever. I mean, he got to chill for a little bit, though. A little bit, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah 10 days off. But... Yeah, not enough, maybe. Yeah, who knows? Headline rewrites. Headline number three, ESPN's Adam Schefter says the Seahawks were in on Eric Bieniemy for their OC job right up until the very end. What's the real headline? Guess the Seahawks didn't keep their Bieniemys closer. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Okay. Here, there's something going on. There's something going there's on something with Bieniemy. With Bieniemy. Of course there's something, something going right. on with Bieniemy. Something right now. People want to want to focus on his uh, his rap sheet. And I get that, but there has to, it's deeper no, than that because, because people get hired in the NFL who have horrible past. It happens all the time, uh, but there has to be something with the way he communicates yes. or the way he interviews that just rubs people the wrong way. You hear Travis Kelsey say he's like my uncle. He, he holds people accountable, but maybe there's something wrong in the messaging, man. And if, uh, if the enemy did not get a look this year, I'm going to go out and say that it's OC for life for my man. I... You do not have his resume and not get an opportunity as a head coach or not become the hottest OC hire somewhere. Like, I absolutely agree. I don't know what it is. I mean, we had on um, uh, Craig Huffman, who hosts a show over in D.C. and who covered, yeah, one season, but the lone season of Biennemi as OC over with Washington and was like, yeah, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And that's including on the coaching staff. And to me, that might make the difference. Like you can have uh, a coach and bump, you know, more about this than I do. I would imagine you can have a coach that's really old school with players and he can still find success in the NFL. Cause it's not like even a younger generation of players are unfamiliar with, with hard coach, like just, you know, attitudes. Um, you can't be like that with Pierce. No, who? There are no old school coaches left in the league right now. I'm looking at every team and I'm trying to make a connection. There are no old school, tough on you, Eric Bieniemy, Bill Belichick type of coaches left. Maybe those guys are phasing out. Um, and it's uh, it's unfortunate because I feel like you learn a lot and gain a lot from being coached that way. I could see that. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, we looked at some Seahawks free agents, lots of Seahawks, obviously still under contract heading into 2024. But does Seattle have money invested in the wrong pieces? Don't go anywhere. Bump and Stacy. 
powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. One Michael Salk with a controversial take, a hot take up on SeattleSports.com, by the way. Uh, if you guys didn't know, SeattleSports.com, you can also find written stuff that's exclusive to the website and uh, not necessarily audio we have from shows or whatever from all of our hosts and also our reporters. I know many of you love hearing from Brandon. He's got his stuff up there, too. Um Salk wrote about how a DK Metcalf trade could help plug the Seahawks roster hole issues. And he looks specifically at um, the Chiefs and the way that they won and importantly, the way that they were built. And he says, look, the Chiefs just won a Super Bowl with a roster, excuse me, that looks almost nothing like the Seahawks 53 man composition. That in and of itself isn't a problem. But it is worth noting that in back-to-back rings, uh, they've quieted much of the talk about limiting your quarterback's paycheck to a certain percentage of your salary cap budget by drastically limiting expenses at the offensive skill positions. So he's like, look, when you look at how the Seahawks are built, they're like second and fourth highest paid players. Two of the four highest paid salaries on their roster uh, belong to their two wide receivers, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. In fact, of the five highest paid positions – One is quarterback, which is going to be the case for any team with a veteran quarterback, pretty much. Um, And then you've got two safeties, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, and two wide receivers, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And that's fine, but are you comfortable having that much money invested in skill positions and not up front, in the trenches, uh, or with, like, you know, an elite quarterback? Like, you know, how are you feeling about it? So he just proposes, you know, DK's great. DK's fantastic. But should the Seahawks be investing their money in different places? Um, that's interesting. Uh, one, let me say that I said before the break, there are no old school coaches and the text lines. They always let you know. Oh, no. Mike What'd Tomlin and Sean Payton. And the I, great I, I agree 100 percent. So there's a couple left, but dying breed. But now to get back to this. All right. So I think that's a that's a strategy. Um, and it's one that could possibly work. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to knock it. Um, I wouldn't do it because I think that you got to keep a guy like DK. DK don't grow on trees, right? A guy like DK does not grow on trees. And now I'm looking at how Kansas City uh, roster is constructed. Here's the thing, though, with Kansas City. They arguably have the best quarterback of all time. They arguably have the best tight end of all time. When you have those two who have competed in the postseason, have more receptions than any other combo in the postseason, have more receiving touchdowns than either, any other combo in the postseason, that kind of cancels out a lot of stuff to me, right? Because I look at Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and I go, to equal a Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, you need a Geno, a Lockett, and a DK, and throw something else in there to compete with just their capabilities and their consistency. But – um, you do look at the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and, man, they've invested in that offensive line. Mm-hmm. They got uh, Tooney, who is the second highest. Mm-hmm. He's a guard. You got the right tackle, Taylor. Um, you also have the strong safety, Reed. So they have two offensive linemen in their top five, and I think that when you have the quarterback – like Patrick Mahomes or any quarterback, your main job is to protect them, and they've done exactly that with investing in that offensive line. I'm hoping that the Seahawks have found something in the last couple of drafts and say, okay, maybe we don't have to invest big money in the offensive line because we have young guys on young contracts and they're going to develop. The only question is Damian Lewis. How important is he to what you're doing moving forward? Me personally, I love him. He's versatile. He's played every position on the offensive line. I say you do what you can to keep them. So though I think that is a a strategy and I don't knock the strategy that Salk threw out there and say, look, this is what – 
you know, what what KC is doing. I'm also going to say that they got one of the greatest of all time at two positions. And the Seahawks said, we're going to go to the draft when it comes to the offensive linemen and hope that these guys develop so you don't have to spend that much. Now you get all these guys on the cheap. You get all these offensive linemen on the cheap. Um, and, and hopefully they become one of the best O-lines in the game. The way that I look at it, similarly, that, um, you know, you really have to add a huge asterisk to this and say, well, Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback. How much of a factor is he when you're trying to analyze how a team is built, right? Um, because he's going to sway the outcome no matter what. Like, mm-hmm. if you did have money wasted in positions in your roster, would Patrick Mahomes still be winning Super Bowls? I mean, someone put up a list of the last uh, four Chiefs wide receivers or pass catchers to catch touchdowns in the Super Bowl, and it was like Kadarius Tony, obviously not this past season, uh, Miko Hardman, like just names where you're like, really, him? Anyone right. watching Arrested Development? Her? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that for me, uh, I wouldn't trade DK. But what I like about Salk's point and about the point about roster construction is getting as much a return as possible from your highest investments. When I look at the Chiefs' 2023 highest cap hits, now this will change in 2024, but for 2023, Patrick Mahomes, go. Yep. Uh, Chris Jones, last year's Defensive Player of the Year nominee, a hugely important piece for them this Can year. Can I say one thing, too, about Chris yes. Jones? Yes. He might have won that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You look at the disruption that he caused in that backfield and getting after McCaffrey, yes. he needs a bit more love than he's getting. Absolutely agree. Uh, tight end Travis Kelsey. One of the best tight ends in the game, period. Joe Tooney, hugely important to that offensive line. And then Justin Reed, their secondary uh, was the best part of the best defense Mm -hmm. they've had in years. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's a lot of return. Yes, you're spending a lot of money, but you're getting a ton of return. You're getting all pros. You're getting pro bowlers. You're getting Super Bowl ring winners. You're getting uh, starters. When you look at Seattle, last year, DK Metcalf, great. Still looking for that all pro. Uh, you know, would you say he's the best receiver in, in football? I wouldn't. I would love no. to have him. I don't want to trade him. Uh, Quandre Diggs, fantastic, wonderful starter for you. I would never want him to miss a game. Best safety in football? He'd hate me saying this if no, you could hear it. But you don't have the be- best safety in football neither. Exactly, exactly. That's important to know. Wide receiver Tyler Lockett. I don't want Tyler Lockett going anywhere. Um, Jamal Adams, missing a lot of games for you. And then Geno Smith, you need a quarterback. Uh, fine. These guys aren't accounting for a ton of all pros. They're no, not, they're no, not they're tops not. in they're their not. position. And that's okay. You're getting a return out of it. And you're getting return. You're getting key starters. You're getting a lot of great things. But are you getting the best? And and not every team is going to get the best. There can be one the best. <laughs> so I understand that. But I'm just saying that Seattle has, in some of their investments, they're waiting for that return of game changer. You just made me hate this argument. Why? You made me hate it. Me? Yeah. Argument, what about it? I still it? love you, but you made me hate it. Tell me what you hate about I it. I hate it because we're looking. It's like we're we're comparing homes right now, right? And the, you know what? The, the Chiefs bought their home on cheaper land and invested heavily in one area and were able to build around it, right? You're looking at the Seahawks. Man, they got their home in, in a different spot, and they're constructing it differently. And I'm looking at the top five guys, and I go, you've gotten returns out of all these dudes. Oh, I would are, never are you, want these guys to miss Are you getting the returns of Kansas City? No, and it's heavily swayed by the greatest quarterback of all time, arguably, and the greatest tight end of all time, arguably. I'm like, we can't, we can't have that. Our 
our house isn't built that way. You couldn't we don't, have a Chris We don't Jones. have those funds. You couldn't have Chris Jones. No, you can't have Chris Jones. There's Why only can't one you have Chris, Chris Jones. Jones. There's, There's only, only one Chris Jones, Jones. Jones but you can't There's draft. One, you can't draft a good defensive lineman. You don't. Was he drafted by by the the Kansas City Chiefs? I don't actually. I don't think he was drafted by the Chiefs. I'm just saying. Either way, they acquired him. I get. I I get that. But I, I just don't I don't like that we're looking at the top five and saying we got nothing out of these. No, dudes. that's not what um, I'm saying. I'm saying all I'm saying is that Geno Smith has made a Pro Bowl. I'm not going to count this one because he was an alternate. So be it. Uh, Tyler Lockett is a central. Now he's getting old, right? Tyler Lockett is getting old. And I understand people wanting to gamble with his future and see what's going on there. Jamal Adams has been a wash so far. But it's so hard to compare what the Seahawks are doing to one of the greatest dynasties True. of all time in football. There's only been like four. It's been Casey, New England, uh, the Niners back in the day, the Steelers, the Dolphins in the 70s. And you can go to Green Bay in the 60s. It's like what we're seeing is something like we've never seen before. So the reason why I hate it because I'm like – that's generational stuff. Exactly, type stuff but that's over what there. I tell people when they want to point to like what Tom Brady did and they go, oh, well, he's not Tom Brady, or even now point to Patrick Mahomes and go, oh, well, Mahomes did this and Gino did, you know, that or, or any other quarterback, Brock Purdy, whoever. And it's like, well, not everyone can be Patrick Mahomes. In fact, only one person can and is Patrick Mahomes. I do that when it comes to comparing like crazy generational talent, specifically at quarterback. But when I look at Chris Jones, Chris Jones was selected by the Chiefs 2016 in the second round. John Schneider, and I am not hating on anyone. John Schneider has never drafted a Pro Bowl defensive lineman or all pro defensive lineman. Like there are gaps that Seattle has had in terms of trying to get the very best investment on their roster. That's all I'm saying. And I think that what they've tried to do is look at, well, like what's, what's the best for us? Uh, What are the best pieces we have? You know, like we aren't going to go pay the best pieces in the league, but what do we have and how do we keep those pieces? And that's what DK Metcalf is. He's one of the best players on their roster. Quandre Diggs, one of the best players on their roster. And they deserve to be paid. I'm not digging into anyone's pockets. But I am going to say that the Chiefs are getting crazy return from their investment. Yeah, they are. They are. Like, that's just how it is. No, no, I don't disagree with you at all. I don't disagree with you at all. I just... I'm not comparing anybody to the Kansas City Chiefs. I just, I no. can't do it. I can't compare their top five players, their bottom five players. I can't compare their coaches. They are the standard in the NFL. So I don't think it's fair to sit there and be like, well, we're not getting our uh, the, the same investment out of our top five, out of their top five. They're one of the greatest dynasties in NFL history. That's why I go back and out. I don't even like this conversation. I get I, your point, and yeah, it makes sense, yeah. but I'm also like, I ain't comparing I'm them saying to, the, this, to the Chiefs. My conversation isn't – my conversation's building off of Salk and saying, like, you know, what am I taking from his and what am I seeing? Mm-hmm. I don't think the Seahawks are wrong. I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're messing up. I think that what can you learn from a team – that's right now really succeeding. It doesn't mean you can duplicate it. It doesn't mean you have the resources to do what they're doing. But what do I see just like on paper? I see a team that is getting more from the highest paid pieces on their roster than is Seattle. I don't want Seattle's highest paid pieces, with the exception of Jamal Adams, to go anywhere. I think they're exceptional players. But I also think that the return Kansas City has been getting, like they've I don't know if they've lucked into it. I don't know if it's just amazing team building. I don't know what it is, but that is part of the reason to me. In addition to Patrick Mahomes, part of the reason to me is that when you look beyond Patrick Mahomes at like those next three names, you see all pros, you know, defensive player of the year nominees, best in the league. Like it's, there's all these other crazy pieces. Okay. It's not, it's not that Seattle's messing up, but it's that, you know, I can see I where just, Salk I, is looking. I get I get where he's looking too. I'm just like, 
they're the freaking can they got Pat Mahomes, <laughs> Travis Kelsey. That that alone right there just just makes the gap so great. You have no player like Pat Mahomes. You got no player like Kelsey, and the draft is a gamble. That's why Pat Mahomes went ten and not number one. When you flip that, Miles Garrett went one that year. You can be like you can go either one yeah. with Miles Garrett or Pat Mahomes. So no, I, I I get it. I think I think it's a I think it's a, a good conversation. I just I just hate the comparison. All right. What second year players could be catching Mike McDonald's eye? That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. So I lied to you guys. Uh, I said that we were going to talk about the second-year players Mike McDonald probably has his eye on. Um, but we bumped that a little further down because this is going to be a short segment. Um, so that's coming up at 1245 right now. Bump has a retort. We were talking about whether or not the Seahawks have money invested in the wrong places. And look, Salk is trying to drive a wedge between us. Okay, we are dear <laughs> friends, uh, and uh, but friends can disagree. They can, and you and I were exploring kind of two different arguments when it comes to roster building. And I love this. I love this conversation because it, it really could go either way. I think there's a million and five arguments you can make about the right thing to do. And I said, look, the Chiefs in their top five draft hits, or excuse me, cap hits for 2023, are getting All Pro nods, Pro Bowl nods, Super Bowl starters, crazy, you know, return. And the Seahawks have great starters that I think are phenomenal players. But, like, if you start wondering about, like, where the difference is coming from, like, the Seahawks just aren't having the same kind of return right. that those other teams are. But you said that there's a lot of other context there. So Yeah. I, one, I think if you put DK on Kansas City, he's a 1,200-yard receiver every single year, he's no doubt about it. He's receiver. Right? He, it, it's, it's easy. So I just look at the situation and I go, all right, well – are you not getting the return because of the way they're being used? Because I look at the talent and I go, it's comparable in some areas. There's no Chris Jones over here. There's no Tony over here who was drafted by New England. Uh, there's no Pat Mahomes over here. There's no Travis Kelsey over here. And then I started looking at uh, just their draft picks right over the past few years. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at Kansas City draft picks and they're guys who are showing up. Right, mm-hmm. Sneed drafted in 2020. Noah Gray is a sneaky good tight end who doesn't get a lot of love, obviously because of Travis Kelsey over there. Uh, obviously, you get an instant return from Trick McDuffie. So I'm looking at it, and I go, the Seahawks are at that place to where some additions could elevate them a lot because they are getting return in young talent as of as of late. They right? are. You got Charles Cross, who was drafted uh, number nine overall. Didn't have the greatest year. He was banged up. But you see the potential there. You got Boya Mafia in 22. So this kind of ties into the conversation we were going to have anyway yeah. because I'm looking at the Seahawks and I go – this is a crucial moment in the C- in Seahawks history because of how well they've done over the past three or four drafts. You you drafted Jordan Brooks, this guy's gonna hit. You drafted Kobe Parkinson, this is in 2020. You drafted Kobe Parkinson, um, Daryl Taylor, we shall see. I think he has potential there. And you got Damian Lewis in 20. The 21 draft was just a wash. Only three picks: Eskridge, Trey Brown, who's been playing well as of late. Got Stone Forsyth. 2022: Charles Cross, Boyamafe, Kenneth Walker, Abe Lucas, Kobe Bryant, Reek Woolen, uh, Derek Young. All these dudes play and then the last draft you get Devin Witherspoon, Jackson Smith and Jigba so as we were talking this through I went back and I looked at Kansas City and how they got to this point they drafted well and these guys matured a few years and then you throw in some all pro type of pieces so I, to support your argument is that they do need to throw in some some all Something pro type special. of dudes. And you but, don't need a lot. But to do that, you got to subtract. So now where are you going to subtract from this roster? And the one thing you don't have, you don't have anybody on this roster right now who's going into the Hall of Fame. Right now you're saying, hey, 
first ballot, this dude's in. You don't have that. So the Hawks have done some of the things that they've done uh, in, in drafting, mm-hmm. and I think these young guys are going to ball out. But you got you, you found Travis Kelsey in 2013. This man is the best tight end ever. And then you got Pat Mahomes. Um, so I think, you know what, Stacey? We're both right. Yeah. I think we're both right. That's the way I like to look at things. <laughs> before anyone says anything, Bump is looking at the 2024 roster, which does not include Bobby Wagner right now. So before anyone's like, but Bobby Wagner, Hall of Fame, he's he's looking at who's rostered for this upcoming yeah. season currently. Um, and you're right. Like, are there players who have that kind of caliber and that kind of potential and that kind of ceiling? Yes. Here's what I love about this argument. Instead of, instead of saying Seattle isn't getting as much return as a team like Kansas City and their biggest investments, Salk's argument is then your biggest investments maybe shouldn't be in skill position players. Your argument is what if your skill position players or your biggest investments could be better if you change some things that you were doing? And guess what we're going to see? Change is coming. Yeah. New OC, new DC. I like this conversation a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, I was turning to see if anyone uh, was adding to this one. Most people just say, like, the quarterback is really the sticking point for this one. Um, and, and that yes, agreeing that optimizing talent is going to be the big way to see if you can get that return. Like, if you're doing everything you possibly can to optimize that talent. That, isn't that why they let Pete go? Because they part felt the him reason, and his squad were not optimizing the talent. Part of the reason. But, I mean, you do have b- beyond that personnel things. Like, are you not optimizing what DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can do as your top highest paid players? Or, excuse me, as two of your highest paid players and your top two targets because you're not throwing enough, because you aren't scheming enough? Or is it because your offensive line isn't good enough or healthy enough? All the above. You know? Like, there's All the above. a lot that goes into it, too. Um, I love this conversation. Uh, we're going to continue a version of it when Bump is talking about some of those newer picks and what they can do and how you can build on that. That's coming up at 1245. we got to talk baseball. ESPN's David Schoenfield joining us next.